0: you don't know me. My name's David. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the, over our missions. I'm the executive pastor of Missional Strategy, and I'm on our preaching team, so I get the privilege of preaching to you today. If you were with us last week, I covered two chapters. There was a ton to cover. This week. I only have four verses, so it's a lot more uh, easy to just dig into just these four verses and really just get to look at it. And so we're looking at the text you just heard read, First Samuel chapter 18 verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to give you a big idea. It's going to be on the screens, and this is it. True friendship is one of the greatest gifts of God's grace. Now, I just, I want, like, I, I was standing there thinking about this. This isn't in my notes. Like, this is something that we don't always just come to terms with. I think like a, a sermon on friendship, we could glance over very quick. We could be like, yeah, friends, cool. Give me some points and I'll bump on, you know, how would I have friends? How do, how do my friendships look better? But if we're honest, a lot of us don't have close friends. We, we, we put up walls, we put up barriers. We have that American idea that I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'll be okay. I don't need anyone else. And there's something missing in that. Because this big idea that true friendship is one of the greatest gifts of God's grace, that's for real. Like, and so I just hope today as we dig into this text that you really like give this some like honest just assessment of your life. Like, Do you have true, good, solid friends in your life? People who can tell you the hard things that you need to hear? And people who you can tell the hard things to. People you can go to with whatever you're struggling with in your life. Like genuine friends. Because for me, that's not always been easy for me to do. I, I've, through a lot of my life, have had the attitude towards people is like, I don't trust you. And I will, will be cordial and friendly as long as it works out for me. If I'm being real, like that's how I've operated many times in my life, which is not a biblical Outlook at all now that 's shifted as God sanctifies me and knocks a lot of David out and puts more Jesus in, okay so that 's where we 're going to be at today, but there 's something I have to hit on before we go past that and get into the friendship part. This text, as I studied it this week, is the flagship text I would call it for the LGBTq plus community. I was not completely I, slight knowledge of that before Monday morning. I knew that people had used it, but as I dug into it, I saw that this is the text that they used, that that community, that group of people, to promote God-ordaining same-sex relationships. I I couldn't get away from it. Every commentary I opened, every uh, article I read, brought it up. And so this sent me on a Google rabbit hole, (laughs) okay? Of just digging in and seeing, okay, what's there? And so you can know, there are just countless articles concerning this in multiple books about the relationship between David and Jonathan. And they look to twist it, to use it, to promote that you could have a same-sex relationship and that God would ordain it and be okay with it. Now, here's my problem with even having to dig into this, is, is this, is that our job when we stand up here behind this pulpit is to exegete the text to you. And this text has nothing to do with homosexuality, but because we should also preach with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other, it would be culturally relevant for me to to hit on this and to talk about this. Now I want to say this before I go into why this text does not talk about that. Our church's stance is a biblical stance of marriage and relationships but yet we do realize that there's people who struggle with not just the sin of same-sex attraction, but the, the just sexual sin, period. And what we don't want to do is, is to cast people away as if they, there's something wrong, and that we can never care for them or love for them or minister to them, because we should and we can. And when you read through Jesus' life, I think that Jesus probably would have been eating dinner with some of these people, never condoning or affirming their sin, but eating dinner with them and and calling them to sin no more. And so when we look at this text, and I I lay out these reasons why that this does not support that lifestyle, what, what I want you to hear from me is a loving truth, not a hateful, bigoted attitude by any means because that's not where I'm coming from. And see, what Satan has done is Satan is good at counterfeiting things. Anything that Christians have, that the church has, that Jesus Christ died for on the cross, he has taken and he has made into counterfeit of that. And so when you hear this statement of love is love, no, that's not what it is. God is love. Love is God. Like there is no love apart from God. And so we need to look at this because, and and hear me, for those of you that are parents and grandparents in the room, this is all the more prevalent that we dig into this because I have twin boys, they're in sixth grade. Um, it's interesting, like in sixth grade, girls are starting to pay attention to them. Um, they're kind of starting to pay attention to girls, a little bit. A girl gave one of them her number and said, call me. So he came home. He was not happy about this. He's like, I don't want to call her dad. And I was like, but you can like, you can be nice. Okay. He's like, I don't, I don't, don't need a girlfriend. I'm play Fortnite with my my <laughs> friends. Like, okay. So this goes on, and the conversation goes to, she asked him, like, what do you think of LGBTQ? Because I'm bi. They're in sixth grade. So he's, dad, I don't know how to respond to this. So it's a conversation that we have to have. I want you to realize that as you're raising kids, and you can say, well, that's your fault, David, for putting me in a public school. Well, I can talk, let me get some private school teachers that I know who have told me they have to have these debates with their high school Private, private students, private kid students, right? Like, it, it's happening everywhere, okay? So I say this to make it, this is important. I've got eight reasons. They're not going to be on the screen because there's a lot there. And after I give you these eight reasons, we're going to bump on and talk about biblical friendships. So this is the first reason why this is not relevant to this text. This view shows a lack of knowledge concerning customs and culture of biblical Near East society, Okay, it's missing that. And really, any other culture around the world in current times. When I went to Uganda back in 2012, I did not understand what I was getting into. But I, as I would walk down the dirt roads of the slums, talking to a man named Deo or talking to a man named Kintu, they would reach down and hold my hand. If you can't figure it out, I'm not... That's not how I roll, okay? like I, I, I feel like I'm pretty manly. All right, like, I, I feel like I'm pretty manly. So I'm like, first, I'm like, this dude's holding my hand. <laughs> we got back to the hotel. I didn't stop holding his hand. Sammy, the, the senior pastor of the church I was with, he, he later told me, he's like, that's normal. That's a sign of friendship. That's a sign of, of, of kindred hearts. We were there together on mission to spread the gospel through the slums, and the, these men were, kn- my, were knitted together. Because of Jesus, not because of any, there was no, no these dudes were manly too. They had probably whooped me in a heartbeat. Like I, you know, like there was nothing there. And so when we look at the text and, and we, we view it through our culture, we're missing greatly. And so that's the next thing is any reading of the Bible with a current cultural lens will lead you astray into a lot of missteps into, the, into biblical text. Remember, this was not written to you. This was not written to America. This was written to Jews living centuries and centuries and centuries ago. Their culture was completely different. So this does not apply to us. And so any use of biblical text that we take and we look through a cultural lens only, we'll have just a blatant misuse of it. I think the book of Revelation is probably one of the key books guess what revelation was not written about america in the 21st century it was written to jews while john was casted away to an island he didn't even know that america was going to exist and i don't see anything in the revelation from jesus that told him about the land of the free it wasn't there guys so we don't use the bible only for our own current times should we look at it and try to evaluate how does this speak to us now yes most definitely It would be ignorant not to. But that is not what we should always do. The next thing is the Hebrew word used for love in this text is also used to describe the love that all of Judah and Israel had for David. So in verse 16 of chapter 18, it says, let me find it real quick. My bad. It says, but all Israel and Judah loved David for he went out and came in before them. So he was fighting these battles for Israel. He was winning battles and all of Judah and all of Israel loved David. This is not the same if if it was that kind of love that they're talking about, the same Hebrew word is used there to describe Jonathan and David's love, to describe the love that the whole nation had, that would have meant that David was sexually active with the whole nation of Israel and Judah. He was not. Okay, He was not. So there's a misuse of the Hebrew word there. The Hebrew word that we're going to look at is ahab. That is the word described and used for love in this text. Now, the Hebrew word used all throughout the Old Testament to describe homosexual intentions and desires and actions is called Yada. So there's a very different Hebrew word, but when you glance over that and you don't want to take any study into it, you're missing out on what the text is really saying, Next, the LGBTQ community makes this claim that Jonathan fell in love at first sight. But when we look at the text, it says as soon as he, being David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. There was no love at first sight. It was love because he heard this love of God, which bound them together. So this love at first sight, this Hollywood idea of love, means you can fall in love and fall out of love, and that is not how love works. And so we dismiss that. Next, and this, this I think hurts, um, even for me to c- consider for people who are in this community, that the LGBTQ plus community does not have a framework for same genders expressing genuine love for one another with no hidden sexual expectations or possibilities. You think about that. Like, there's, how could you go through any relationship with someone who's just another, just a bro and, and not have to wonder, like, is this going to lead to something more? That would be a very sad place to be in because you would never be able to have genuine friendships without some type of ulterior motives, Next, the author of First and Second Samuel is not unafraid to highlight the sin of David in his writings at all. If you know anything about David's life, he's going to commit adultery. He's going to have that, man, that woman's husband murdered. So if he was involved in sexual activities that was homosexual, that would have been laid out in this text. I think through the whole Bible, we can see that the, the authors of the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God's infallible word, was never afraid to highlight people's sins to show God's glory because he uses sinners like us. Okay? And then lastly, David and Jonathan both dearly love the Lord and His word, which explicitly condemns homosexuality in Leviticus 18 and 20. Okay? So I say all this just in case you knew that this text was that kind of text that others have used to misinterpret God's word. I wanted to clear that up. I mean, in our meeting this morning, it was one of the first things that got said is, wow, you got a controversial text. I I do. And then, but we're going to bump on now. And so I say all that. I hope that you learned something. But here's the first point I want you to see. True biblical friendship is centered on the common love for Jesus and his gospel. That is what this friendship was centered on. A love for Jesus, though they did not yet know who Jesus was, but they believed that there was a God who's going to one day send a Messiah to save his people. So they essentially believed in a Messiah and a gospel story of redemption. And that was what their friendship was centered on. When you look back to chapter 17 and you see everything that David said to Saul, he's talking about how he would go and he would, he would get the sheep and, the, and, and he would rescue them from lions and from bears. And who delivered them? God delivered him. When he killed the Philistine, Goliath, who delivered him and allowed him to do that? God. He was giving the glory to God through all of this. He was honoring God. And there's probably a lot more of that conversation that we do not see in this text. But in that, it knitted their souls together. See, that's what God's plan was. For relationships, for people to, to be in genuine, honest relationship with one another. I mean, we see it in Genesis, right? When God has created Adam, he says this is not good for man to be alone, so he creates Eve. Now, it doesn't just stop there, because all through the Bible, what you don't see is people doing life solo. Find one for me. There's, there's very few. There's a few prophets who are out there by themselves, but they weren't real happy people. I mean, really, they, John, or Jonah was miserable. And that dude was sitting there, and all he had was a plant that a worm ate. So, I mean, like, you need friends, okay? You need friends in your life. And so God, being the trinity that he is of God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, he's in perfect relationship with himself. And so it is important that we have relationships, and that was God's plan. It's all throughout Scripture. But the reality is that many of us, if we're honest, we don't have close friends, We've created walls and barriers to not allow people into our lives that really know us. And what we're doing then is we're saying, the gospel's not enough. Jesus is not enough for me to have that kind of kindred relationship with you. But the apostle Paul, all through the New Testament, you see him very, very close with people. All because of the gospel. I mean, he's... Away in prison, and he 's thanking people who, who've came to him and gone out from him, and how he's asking for Mark because Mark would be beneficial to him and his ministry that he's doing, and that 's even after Mark had abandoned him before. But that friendship was kindred around what? there's the only way you're going to reconcile a relationship with somebody who's abandoned you and left you basically for dead while you're out on a mission trip is because of Jesus and the gospel. and so that friendship is centered on that, and so biblical friendship is centered on that, and that's why, honestly, one of the key reasons why we hit on missional community so much is the, is the way that we do everything by making disciples in our church, because we know that there is no biblical text to support you doing this life alone. You should be doing it with a community of believers, like family, And so I thought of my own life, of how I've had friendships over the years. I've had some great friends from childhood to when I worked construction, coming out of high school for a decade, to going into ministry. And what I found is that's interesting is that the friendships that have endured and been the most fruitful friendships are the ones who have a common love for Jesus and his work on the cross. Those are the friendships that have endured. Now, do I still talk to friends from childhood every once in a while? The one I talk to the most is a covenant member of our church. So there's there still a common love for Jesus. Do I still talk to people I work con- with from construction? Every once in a while, but it's not, we don't, it's not the same. The people that I talk to the most that I don't even see on a regular basis would be someone like Sammy Simmons, who was the lead pastor at Emmanuel Baptist when I was a youth pastor there. He has moved to Georgia, and yet we talk regularly every week him and I are like, he's like my big brother, I'm like his little brother. There's a friendship there that we were bonded because of Jesus and the gospel. That is what it's been like for me in my life, is that these relationships have been bonded because of Jesus. But it goes beyond that. Because the next thing I want you to see is that the mission of Jesus forms unbreakable bonds. See, both Jonathan and David were warriors, I mean, you read back and you can remember if you read in 1 Samuel, Jonathan's sitting there and all of Israel's afraid. They're not going to war. They're waiting because they're afraid. And what does Jonathan do? He looks at his armor bearer and says, let's go. We're going to charge. And they do. And as they get more and more successful at defeating the people they were fighting, the other groups join and go with them. What does David do? He shows up on the scene. All of Israel is afraid to go and fight, and he goes and fights. And then all of Israel follows him. They are very like-minded warriors who are on the common mission. And that mission of God, it forms unbreakable bonds. Because you know that together you have a job to do. You have something that you have to get accomplished. And for us as believers, it's to go in and make disciples of all nations. Right here locally and to the ends of the earth. And so if we're not bonded together, if we're arguing, if we don't really like each other, if we're not getting along, that is not going to work out. Now, that's not to say that we're all going to get along every moment of the day. That's not going to happen. But the, the mission unites us. And I've said many times at this church, you're the, you are either on mission or you are the mission. So if you're not on a mission with us at Heights, you're who we're on mission for. Like, we are looking to get you connected to the family of God. I and mean, if you're not a believer, then we are looking to get you saved and get you connected to the family of God. So this, this is the norm of this idea that Jesus and his gospel f- fuels us to, to be on mission. Like, if you love Jesus and you love the gospel, then it should just fuel you to be on mission. And when you do that, then you go and you do what you are called to do. I think to my life as I started planting a church back in 2015, and part, i part, I didn't even think about it, Sin Network, I didn't, I did not, was not on purpose this morning, I just like this t-shirt, and so the Sin Network is a church planting network. Some of my dearest friends in this world are because of the brotherhood that we have together. They're in different churches all around the St. Louis area, but continually, I am texting with these men. We have a text group with the five of us in it. It is labeled Brotherhood. We are knitted together because we are on the same mission, not just to make disciples, but to plant more churches in the St. Louis area to saturate St. Louis with gospel-centered churches. It has united us together. We are centered on that mission because those dudes, they're my dudes. Like, I will go to bat for them in a heartbeat. Like, I would will come to blows. Like, I love those guys, and and it's interesting because like, I'm again I'm kind of manly. I I don't like I don't say like I love you to a whole bunch of people, but like these dudes like regularly like get off the phone like Hey man, I love you." I I say it to them like, and you think that's kind of weird, but it it doesn't feel weird. I'm not a big fan of being touched either. Okay. (laughs) If you know that about me, I'm not a big fan of being touched. I, I don't like, Before COVID was a thing, we would do that handshake time, I would make a circle back around to the hand sanitizer on the sound booth, two pumps, rub that on my hands, and then I'd go up here, because I know some of y'all ain't washing your hands in the bathroom. <laughs> all right? And so like, I don't like being touched. I don't even like sharing a drink with my wife. I'm, weird as it may sound, like I just don't like being touched. I see one of those dudes, I see Corey, I see Jeff, and they, they walk up, give me five, coming for a hug, I'm all about it. I love those dudes, and there ain't nothing gay about it, all right? Like, they're just not, like, it, it's just not, and, and so I'm telling you, it's the mission of God who has connected us together, and there's many of you here on Sundays that will come up and give me a hug. It does not bother me at all. Now, I will tell you. There have been times in churches previous to this, the people who just regularly, who barely knew me. I don't know if they were even on mission. I don't know. They just came to church. Always wanting to give me a hug. There's this one lady who would routinely give me a kiss every Sunday. That was crossing lines. (laughs) All right? But... When we're on mission together, it unites us. And Jonathan and David, we're on mission together. I want to make it clear to you that Jesus changes your hearts, and he changes how you take a look at friendships. And when you're on mission together, it just unites us. So I want you just to see that and think about it. This is a little silly, but this is what I thought about as I was writing the sermon. I thought about the movie Forrest Gump. I thought about Forrest Gump with, with Forrest and Bubba. Those dudes, I mean, they show up on a bus. To go to go to boot camp. They had one mission: don't get destroyed by a drill sergeant, right? They go to Vietnam together. They have one, what's Bubba say to him? He's like, "Let's sleep with our backs against each other, so we don't have to sleep with our heads in the mud." Like, literally, like, all they wanted to do was just stay alive, and their mission was that, to defeat the Viet- Vietnamese and to fight for America. And what we see through that is a common relationship, because they were formed on a mission. We see them sleeping back to the back. We see Force trying to save Bubba. We see him carrying him through the woods, and something just bit up, st- snuck up and bit him in the butt. Re- remember that? Like, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm spoiling it for you. Like, you were way behind in cinema. But, so... Like, they were friends. I mean, he sits there and holds them as he dies. And then he goes and he starts the shrimping company and gives half the money to Bubba's mom that he didn't have to do. Why? Because there was a common bond of friendship. Now, I get that it's fiction, but it drives home the point that we should have a common bond as believers that gets us centered on Jesus. And when we do that, there's genuine friendship. And so this leads to a different kind of friendship because friendship functioning inside of a gospel framework looks radically different. In just these four verses, there's so much for us to consider. There's so much for us to consider. First, Jonathan took the time to know David's heart. When's the last time you took time to know someone's heart? Like genuinely know how they feel about things, how they're doing in their lives, how that they're processing everything going on. When's the last time you genuinely sat and listened to someone to know that? Because Jonathan had to sit and listen to David to be able to have his soul knitted to him. He didn't just like overhear some stuff that Saul and David were talking about. He genuinely was paying attention and their their hearts were knitted, their souls were knitted together. So do you know the heart of your friends? Are you passionate about what they're passionate about? Do you know their dreams and their wants, the things that they're disappointed about in life? Do you know your friends intimately? Not just your spouse, your friends. Do you know your spouse's heart though? Because they should be your best friend. You're in a covenant marriage relationship with them. And so I'll just on the side note, if you don't know their, their dreams, their wishes, their disappointments in life, if you don't know who they are, you're missing it. Because God, that is a gift from God. It's even greater than this friendship. Next, there was no competitiveness or jealousy between Jonathan and David. I want you to think about who Jonathan was. He was the crowned prince of Israel. Guess who was next in line to be king? Jonathan, not David, until God stepped in and anointed him through Samuel and said, he'll be king. He's going to be king. So you would think that the Bible is setting us up for this great drama where not only is David going to have to fight Saul for the rest of chapter, or first Samuel and second Samuel until Saul dies, but you'd have to, he'd have to battle Jonathan too, who's like, you're not stepping in taking king. I'm going to be the king. There was no competitiveness. See, true friendship that's centered on the gospel gives you a different framework. You're not jealous of your friend because they got something that you didn't get or their life's going differently and how you maybe want it. There is not a competitiveness, competitiveness for you. You genuinely want the best for that person because you're on mission together. And so when you're on mission together, you're not advancing your own kingdom, but you're advancing the kingdom of God. And so that gives you this ability to say, hey, this is great. Like, I'm glad there's no rivalry between us. They were not, these two were not fighting for the throne for years and years and years, but they were together doing life. See, because Jonathan cared more about building the kingdom of God than building his own castle. Do you? Do you care more about building the kingdom of God than you do about building your own little castle? Because if you do, then it makes knowing these friendships so much easier. And Jonathan, he sides with David, this this idea of no competitiveness, he sides with David over his own dad, all through the text, warning David of his dad's plans to try to kill him and take him out. You see, because what it is then is there's this connection, the spiritual family. And we've said it before here, and, and some people really wrestle with this. Your spiritual family should be as close and as important to you as your biological family, if not as sometimes more important. Like, this is not an unbiblical principle. That's not some weird cult thing that we're peddling here at Heights Community. Like, it is a biblical thing where Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 37 through 39, whoever loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's not about hating anyone, but it is about placing a love for Jesus above all. And when you do that, you start to see everyone as your brother and sister in Christ. And that friendship then is united. And so Jonathan and David had that. And so, again, we look at this and how there was just this different framework for their friendship. Jonathan was genuine, generous enough and willing to meet the needs of David. He gives him all of his armor, his royal robe. Why? Because David was the next king, not Jonathan. And he realized that. And so there's a need to be in the position that God had ordained him to be in. And so he gives of all of that to meet the needs of his friend. Do you meet the needs of your friends? You have things and your friend tells you they have a need. And your response is, well, I'm going to pray for that. You don't need to pray for that. You're the answer to the thing you're getting ready to pray about. Get, take care of your friend. Meet their needs, right? And so he gives them that. And so real biblical friendship is not stingy and hoarding and you just give as you feel comfortable giving, but it is giving of your emotions, of your time, sometimes of your things, having them into your home. Like when's the last time you had a friend at your dinner table? When? because like, You should. You should get to know people and live life with them because we can give of all that. And it's not easy, but real biblical friendship is based on just having a gospel framework and processing it all through that. Next, biblical friendship is fully committed to each other. Usually as Christians, when we talk about covenants, we look at marriage covenants. And we look at the, just the different covenants throughout the Bible the Abrahamic covenant, the, the Noahic covenant, the, the Davidic covenant, the New Covenant, all those covenants. We don't usually talk about covenants for friends. The closest we get to that would be our covenant memberships that we do because we're covenanting between one another as pastors, as elders, and church members. But here we see that these two men made a covenant with one another. They were very close to one another. So I want to define covenant so that we're tracking together here. The essence of a covenant is to be found in a particular kind of relationship between two persons. Now, I'm reading some of this to you. I want you just to really get this. Mutual obligations characterize that kind of relationship. Thus, a covenant relationship is not merely a mutual acquaintance, but a commitment to responsibility and action. So you hear that? Like, these men were coveting together that there's a responsibility that they were owning up to together, and that there would be action that would take place on that. So the deep brotherly love that David and Jonathan shared led to a formal covenant between them. And so a friendship or this covenant then is where you would biblically take an animal, cut it in two, and the two people would walk together in between the two pieces saying that if we were to break this covenant, let the same be done to us. Now think about that. Because many people do not take covenants serious. Because I know, I know that personally because when we merge these two churches Half of our covenant members bolted and that covenant meant nothing. When we covenant together, it means something. That's why we take covenant membership so serious here. And we're not like, yeah, go take a class and you're done and you get to be a covenant. We we could care less if we got one person on our rolls as members or a hundred. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that we are doing what God has called us to do. That's important. And then we take that covenant serious. These men, when they took this covenant, it was a friendship that, like I said, it made Jonathan see David even at times more important than his own dad and made sure that he was safe. And so we, as believers, we need one another. And when you covenant together, what you're saying is, I'm in this. I'm in this it's gonna, when it gets hard. I'm in this when it's going to get nasty. I'm in this when society is against us. Just like why society is against us. Why do you think I had to spend 10 minutes debunking a myth about this text? Society is against us and we need one another because we're gonna go through a lot more of being attacked over biblical beliefs and if you're trying to do it solo, one of two things is gonna happen. You're gonna get really depressed or you're gonna cave and you're gonna to go to the world instead of God. But when we have a covenant with one another, we know that dude I can trust. That girl I can trust. She's got my back. He's got my back. I'm together in this. So you don't go into diff, diff, difficult situations or war with someone who might bail on you. You don't. So that's why, again, that's why we take membership so seriously here because we want to covenant together that we're for real in this. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, when we look at this passage, what we really see is we see the redeeming work of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect example of a committed, selfless, and loving friend. He is. He is. This is what he says in John 15 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Jesus, in every way, embodies perfect covenant friendship. In every way. He knew our hearts, like Jonathan knew David's heart. But when he knew our hearts, he saw a dark, wicked, dead heart that was just contrary to everything about the kingdom of God. And yet, He knitted himself to us so much that he went to the cross for us. He went to the cross for us. He, just like Jonathan, clothes us in his robe, in his armor. He he imputes his righteousness to us. We are clothed in in a robe of righteousness. And so when the Father looks at us, he no longer sees the sinfulness of ourselves, but yet he sees the holiness and righteousness of a sinless, perfect son because Jesus took his royal robe and clothed you and me in it. And then what he does is he, just like Jonathan gave his armor away, he gives us armor so that we can do what? We can block out the attacks from the evil one. He gives us, it says in Ephesians, he gives us a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, shoes of gospel peace to, be, to ready us, and a shield of faith. This all happens because he made a covenant with us by going to the cross and dying in our place, taking the wrath of God, and then raising it again to life. That's Friendship when the king steps down from his throne and dies in our place, that's a true friend. Yes, he is Lord, he is king, he is creator of all things, and he is worthy of praise, but he is also our friend because text, the text says it there in John 15. He wouldn't say if it wasn't true. And so that covenant he made with us was not by sacrifice of an animal. It was not by the bloodshed of an animal. That, that covenant wasn't because they cut an animal in two. It was because Jesus Christ shed his blood, the perfect friend died in our place so that we would no longer be enemies with God. And so, my question for you as we get to wrap up is do you call Jesus friend? Do you confess him as your Lord and Savior? If you do, he's your friend. And so, we're going to do communion together, and we get to celebrate that new covenant of Jesus, his work on the cross. And if you can't honestly call Jesus friend because you've never repented of your sins and put your trust in him, him, then you are an enemy of God. As harsh of a reality as that is, I would be a bad friend to you to not tell you that. You're an enemy of God if you've never made Jesus your friend through repentance and confession. And so today, as we will respond and celebrate this new covenant of Jesus' work on the cross, If you're a believer, I hope you got the communion cups and we will take communion together and we will celebrate his work. But if you're not a believer, I ask that you don't do that, but that you do consider responding to Jesus today, confessing of your sins, repenting of those sins and placing your faith in him and calling Jesus' friend for the very first time. So I'm gonna pray as as the women come back up to lead us in worship for one last song and then I'm gonna read this text over us about communion. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you did not wanna leave us as enemies to you, that you sent your son to die in our place to become our friend in Jesus. I Genuinely, thank you for being willing to be our friend because we are not good friends. We do not reciprocate the same type of love and friendship and giving that you do to us. And yet, God, you are faithful to us through it all. So, Lord, I just pray that as we go through this day and we respond now, that maybe some of us, our minds are drawn to knowing that we need better friendships and we look to get into true, genuine, authentic community with one another so we can know one another on that type of friendship level. God, for those of us who have blocked people out and, and not allow people to become friends with us, I pray, God, that we'll repent and we'll make go to those people who have tried to be our friends and, we'll Lord, we'll dive into those relationships deeper. And God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior as their friend, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you will just do a work in their lives. You will soften their hearts and you will save them. I pray this in Jesus' name.